0: and tell you my story. Um, I am also the NYI president, the Nazarene Youth International President for Southwest Oklahoma. So I stay quite busy with my own youth group in Norman and then getting all sorts of things ready for Southwest Oklahoma's camp and our big mission trip for NYC coming up in July. Um, It is one of the great things that I get to do. I I love it so much. Uh, Throughout my life, I have been asked two main questions. Um, How tall are you? And how did you get into the Nazarene church? Well, I rock uh, four feet, 11 inches. And how I became a Nazarene is quite a story. I actually broke one of my classmates' fingers when I was in the sixth grade. We were both 12 years old. But I'll let you hang on that for a little bit. I want to tell you that our, our, my scripture is Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12, if you want to look that up. While you're looking that up, I want to be able to give, ask you some questions and give you a setup for our scripture. How often do you sit at your table and have dinner with your family? How often do you set it up with plates and silverware and napkins, candles in the middle, keep it fancy? I know I don't keep our table very fancy. I clear off the homework and we sit down for dinner usually. Lots of people don't sit at their table. We find our world, our culture, sitting in front of a TV instead of a dinner table lately. Um, These days, everyone stays so busy. I can uh, address with being busy. Like I said before, I'm constantly always doing something. It was interesting. I went a whole 36 years, and I never flew on an airplane. And I became the NYI president, and I've been on 11 since then, um, flying all over, taking care of some of the stuff for Southwest Oklahoma. In our scripture, um, we call these the Beatitudes, which is a Latin word that means blessed or happy. The Beatitudes are a series of statements that begin with the phrases, blessed are, and describe attitudes that Jesus' followers should have. So then when I read, when I'm reading the Bible, I always visualize stuff. I am dyslexic, and so my mind is constantly having like the audio part happening and then like a visual part so when i'm reading the beatitudes i think about a table when i'm asking you how often do you set at a table how often do you set it with placemats and silverware when i think of the beatitudes i think of jesus setting up a table but not anything super fancy but i do think of place guards little pieces of paper Saying, who gets to sit at this table? who Jesus is talking about? As a Western culture, as a Western culture, we can see who Jesus might have sitting at his table, but it might not be who you think it would be. I know back in Jesus' culture, it wasn't who people thought would sit by the Son of God. In Scripture, in our Scripture, it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for their kingdom is in heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so that they persecute the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is teaching the crowd about people who, about the importance of living the righteous life. He also teaches about the importance of a the importance of fulfilling the law of the prophecy and about the importance of being a light for others to follow. Overall, I believe this passage passage is important for the living of the holiness and the righteousness. Jesus is getting started by teaching this passage in the beginning of Jesus' sermon to the people. I always get blown away by the Sermon on the Mound and Jesus' ministry. We somehow, we, we have, we, we see rules and Jesus sees people that need mercy and righteousness. Back in this time, it's very interesting because I'll give you a little history recap. Back in Jesus' time, rabbis would make a list of things. But they would make a list for the people that were blessed and the people that were cursed. And they're not the same as Jesus' list. Someone that would be considered blessed would be someone that followed the Torah, which would be the Old Testament very strictly. And people that would be cursed would actually be people that were mourning. But Jesus is here to always turn things upside down and make people think more and more. We might think that this looks great But we know that our world has a list that looks like this too. That rabbis and Pharisees of Jesus' day, we still have people that consider people that are mourning to be cursed. And the people that should follow the Torah or the the rules, the ones that will be blessed. All the people... That Jesus listed are living in difficult situations and to be honest when I'm living in a difficult situation I don't always feel blessed who do we think about when I asked you who you would invite who when you see your table who would you invite to that table that you have set is it just your family Is it your best friend? Is it the weak? Is it the poor? Who gets to sit at that table? Would you set that table for a 12-year-old girl that just broke her daughter's finger, that her parents are just known in her small town for their drug abuse? That's how I became a Nazarene, is because I broke a 12-year-old's finger out of hate, not an accident. We'll back up some, and I was just a baby, and I was born in the hospital. I was born addicted to opiates because my mother was addicted to drugs. And as I grew up in this household, I had an older sister named Katie, and I was the middle child, and then my youngest brother was named Curtis. All with Ks, I never understood that. It just makes it harder to, to get onto your children. When I was younger, my father was arrested multiple times for beating me and my mother and my sister. My mom's parents took care of us so much that I asked my mother one day, can that lady with the red hair come and play? And that was my mother. That's how much time I spent with my family. We moved a lot because my dad never kept a job and we never really had a car what i can remember of them on november 7th 1990 my whole family was in our house we were in a trailer and it was cold that night and our house caught on fire and my older sister some of you might remember this she had just seen uh, Her school had just went and saw Smokey the Bear. Back in the day, they did assemblies, and Smokey the Bear came to your school, and some guy dressed up in a bear costume and told you all about how to prevent fires and what to do if one happened. So my sister knew what to do. She was nine, I was five, and she took me out of the house. My mom, who was 28 at the time, and my brother, who was two years old, died in that house fire. My dad was arrested that night for trying to murder all of us. And me and my sister went to live with my mom's parents, and my dad went to jail. As I grew up in this household, it actually took me until I was about in the third grade to realize that not everybody lived with their grandparents, that my mom had died because of the lack of really being with my mom at any time as i grew up my sister was uh, four years older than me so by the time i became 12 years old she was really in her teens and she developed a drug habit just like her our parents had and she spent most of her time yelling and screaming and beating me just like our parents had and one day, I met a girl named Ashley Keeling at our small school. I was from Stratford, Oklahoma. I don't know if you know where that is. very far from here, and it's a small town. doesn't even have a stoplight. But we were partnered up in a gym class, and I was chunking this basketball at Ashley. I did not like her. I didn't really like anybody. I had a lot of hatred inside of my 12-year-old self because Ashley had everything that I ever dreamed of. A mom, a dad, a sister that didn't beat her. She even has a brother. And I was jealous of everything that she had. And I threw the basketball and jammed her finger. And as she complained about it, I grabbed it and pulled it to the side and felt it snap in my hand. So I broke her finger. And I'll never forget that day. It's been over 20 years, and every time I tell the story, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up to think that such hatred lived inside of me. But that family, of course, as a mom, now I can totally see Ashley they had to take her to the emergency room to get her finger fixed. And her mom clearly stated, stay away from that girl. We don't want you to be friends with her. That's understandable. But what I didn't know about Ashley and what made us completely different is that Ashley had grew up in a Nazarene Church in Pauls Valley. And she had gone to church all her life. She went to Sunday school and she was just entering the youth department. And she told her mom, I don't think we should stay away from her. She's so sad. I think she needs Jesus. And if Ashley was here to tell the story, she would tell you how many times she called my house and hung up. And how nervous she was to be obedient to Christ, to call me and ask me if I wanted to come to church. When she invited me, I really didn't want to go. I had no want to. In fact, I didn't know anything about Jesus or God other than that they were mixed up in cuss words. That's the only time I ever heard about Jesus and God was in my house was through cursing. But I didn't want to stay at my house because I was getting beaten there. My sister was always getting in trouble for being on drugs and it was just awful there. So I went to church and I hung out and these people, they I didn't just go. The, these people came and picked me up twice on Sunday and Wednesday. Anytime the doors were open, really, they were churchgoers and now they were taking me to church anytime the doors were open. And like I said, it's been over 20 years and these people now are the godparents of my two boys, they treat my boys like their grandchildren. They go to my church. They paid for me to go to camp, extravaganza, NYC, all the things. And it was quite the struggle. I started going to church with them when I was 12, and I didn't accept Jesus until I was about 16. I'm sure that was hard for them to see me struggle with trying to figure out what this church is. I love my story because I get to be a youth pastor and tell it and it signifies how important children's church and youth ministry really is for a 12-year-old to tell her own mother, I think she needs to know Jesus. Can we take her to church? Like That's such a big deal for a 12-year-old to say. And I found Jesus at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene at an event that our uh, district does at Extravaganza. And it wasn't this... It was this... Our pastor would preach these brimstone and fire sermons. And when you grew up in a house that I grew up, and when hell was talked about in sermons... I just always thought to myself, I live in hell. So I'm not for sure if the one you're talking about is the same one I live in. But I could probably withstand it because I live in one daily. That's how I felt. And when I was at Extravaganza, this preacher came and told a story of a God that wanted me for who I was as a child of Christ to love me. And that changed my whole perspective on Christ, and I gave my life up. But, of course, my life didn't end up being very easy. It wouldn't be very long after I was saved that one night my sister came home very just strung out on drugs, yelling and screaming, and a lot of times I would try to put her to bed so my grandparents wouldn't wake up, and it wouldn't be this whole big thing. I love... Softball. I'm a big OU softball fan and I played softball in high school. So I had a softball bat in my room and I'm trying to put my sister to bed and her getting back up and yelling and screaming and in the hustle of the fight, she grabbed my softball bat and swung it and hit me in the back and caused quite a bit of damage. I was like coughing up blood and it was just awful. And that night, I made a decision and ran away from my house, from my grandparents' house. And I lived in my car and did my junior and senior year pretty much, sleeping on people's couches and sleeping in my car and taking showers in the school gym and things like that. What is interesting about that is with our scripture of Jesus saying, These are the blessed is that we're so quick, especially in a small town. When your parents do drugs and then your older sister does drugs, people just assume that you're on drugs as well. I was in, after I had been preaching for a while and got my district license and had my job at Norman, I was in the Paws Valley Walmart grocery shopping, and one of my old teachers passed me that I was Facebook friends with. And I saw her come back around with tears in her eyes. And she said, I saw you sleeping in your car. And I just thought you deserved it. I should have helped you. I, she's like, I didn't realize you were running from something. I just assumed from your family's history that you deserve to be homeless. And it was like a shock to me to... For multiple reasons you know to like realize that like this woman saw me suffering but then to realize that my pain is never wasted like she's standing in front of me asking me for forgiveness and we get to have this beautiful conversation of like it's okay like Christ has done this great thing through all this pain in fact uh, just recently talking about being the NYI president um, We go to these events and like one was at, is still at Bethany First Church. And I had to get on the big stage there to announce that I was the NYI president for Southwest Oklahoma. And I was like third in line and there's quite a bit of us on the field. And as I was standing there, I could see this section where I was saved years ago. So many years ago that the seats were wooden back then and now they're like these poofy cloth, beautiful seats. And that little area was empty. And it just tears me up to think that it's just a surreal moment to be able to remember, like, it's not about me. It's so about Christ and all the things and about his story through me. I once was such a broken, lost soul that got saved that now gets to stand on this really cool stage and make sure that all these kids in southwest Oklahoma have a chance to find the Jesus that saved me. I love how Jesus talks about, um, you know, in commentaries and the Beatitudes, they talk about how like this can be a map of how to find Jesus. That he will be with the meek and the poor. And in Matthew 25 and 35, Matthew chapter twenty-five, verses thirty-five through forty, Jesus talks about how who we are to be taking care of, like we are to feed the hungry and 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 visit the people and the poor and take care of the sick. We are to visit the people that aren't living the same, like that aren't who we are. Like we already have Christ. We go and visit them even if they are different than us. I can't, like, I will be forever grateful for a 12-year-old that wanted to hang out with someone that scared her. And I know later on as an adult I found out that there was actually a board meeting questioning if they should allow the secular girl into their church because I had already hurt one child. What would I do to the others? But I had a... I tried to be on my very best behavior because it was like a it was like a way out of my house. Mercy is something that is beautiful. In the Beatitudes we say, Blessed are the mercy merciful. Blessed are those who win and how to show mercy in all circumstances. We must be merciful people. Even when we act with, even when they're not acting with mercy. We get this awesome chance to treat people the same way that we see Jesus treat the Samaritan. All the, peop- all the people in the scripture of how he stops and pauses and just has mercy and grace for those people. But we know the truth is, is that difficult people can be hard to love. I am a big fan of a gentleman named Bob Goth, and he always makes a joke about, if you don't know a difficult person to love, then you probably are that difficult person, and you should be grateful for how much people are loving on you. Most of Jesus' ministry is showing the disciples how to love on difficult people, and that by... By living in the culture, we say that we don't want to love on people. We want to just do our own thing. But we're called to be like Christ. And we're called to make disciples and to love on those difficult people. Even if they cause us medical bills like I caused that family a medical bill for their daughter. I, like I said, I will be forever grateful for someone that showed mercy and love. I'm praying for such a revival that our churches figure out how to show more grace and mercy that was showed to me. And I take my job as NYI president very seriously because I hope to show grace and mercy to students that are living in households that I lived in. To be able to express that Jesus wants you as a son and a daughter and this love that I never knew existed my grandparents they gave me and my sister so much financially they never hugged us they never tucked us into bed we never ate dinner together I had video game systems to the point where my grandma would make dinner and bring me a plate while I was playing Super Nintendo I never got that chance of now looking back and as an adult like an educated like in mental health my parents, grandparents were probably clinically depressed my mom was their only child and she died at the age of 28 and then they raised two girls that looked like her i can't even imagine the pain that that comes from that i'm just grateful for the mercy that i received and now to be able to have this beautiful life with these people their names are Kristen, and Roberta, and they actually attend the church that I work at. And so, and and for anybody asking, some people usually always ask me, Ashley's finger is fine. It's totally been usable all all these years. She just had to wear a little metal thing for a couple weeks, and it healed up. I wasn't I wasn't terribly strong at the age of 12. I thank you for having me here, and I totally honored to be able to share. My story, I—it can be very heartbreaking, and I hope that you just see the love that comes from what happened. It has taken me a lot of years to be able to see that my pain is never wasted. Being able here to speak to you, being able to—to to look at my students back there and know that that pain is never wasted. Ashley's pain wasn't wasted. I mean, she turned around with that broken finger and invited me to church, even though she had to get her nerve up. And we didn't even become friends right away. We sat across from each other in the vehicle for almost a year because we didn't know each other. We were complete opposites. She, uh, super smart, I have a learning disability. You know, we're just completely opposites and now we're still best friends. And um, getting to share the word of God together sometimes. Uh, I preach at a lot of our smaller churches that don't have pastors, and sometimes Ashley comes with me to sing because they also don't have any kind of musical ability to be able to sing praise and worship. So God is so good. If you will join me and stand in uh, prayer, please.